Welcome to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP, helping you to run simple. Host and moderator Bonnie D. Graham talks with the experts about how game-changing technologies can help you achieve financial excellence for your company. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Yes, indeed. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, you're in the right place because this is where the best run. We have an interesting, interesting buzz quote today. Let's see what the buzz on the street is. It's from a former panelist on the show. His name is Brian Kalish, K-A-L-I-S-H. He has his own organization company called Kalish Consulting. And this is a quote from his article in DigitalistMag.com, which is an SAP publication. Here's the quote. Future of FP&A. So bright, I gotta wear shades. That's a quote from Timbuk3. I guess that's a, a musical group. Here's the rest of the quote. I believe we are finally at a point where we not only possess the tools to take FP&A to new heights, but FP&A will have to soar for organizations to thrive in the 21st century. Oh, my. Interesting quote. Thank you, Brian Kalish. We really appreciate that. So what are we talking about today? Today's intelligent enterprise enables finance practitioners, and we assume you are those who are listening to us around the world. This is ongoing, one of our most popular Game Changer series. So let me start again. Today's intelligent enterprise enables finance practitioners, that's the office of the CFO, to access data from all parts of the organization. What's the big deal about this? They can combine relevant financial data with operational data. And what's the point? Needing to make better decisions. So FP&A, I've been referencing, is financial planning and analysis. This function drives budgets. It drives forecasts and plans. Now FP&A could use this connected platform to drive collaborative decision-making and use next-generation tools like machine learning to make better decisions. We've talked about this many times in the past on this series, and we're going to pull this apart today. So how can the FP&A function become a leader? progressing from helping make decisions now in the company to helping drive decisions tomorrow. We want to make sure it's a future look. So welcome again. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and this is Financial Excellence with Game Changers Radio. If you're keeping track, this is Season 8, Episode Number 4. Shout out to Chris Grundy, Birgit Starmans, and now Diana Heim for sponsoring this series. Let me tell you who my three panelists are, my experts, and then we'll get started. First up in a moment, I'll be introducing you to Brian Lapidus from the Association for Financial Professionals, and he spells his first name B-R-Y-A-N, last name L-A-P-I-D-U-S, if you want to look him up. Next up after him, we'll be introducing Parminder Gatahora, and he's the managing principal at Truqua. We have had some of his colleagues on shows before, and Parminder told me to call him Par, like the golf game, P-A-R, at Par. Thank you. And rounding out the panel is a returning guest. He's Pras Chatterjee from SAP. He's a Senior Director of Product Marketing for Planning and Analysis. Welcome to my esteemed panelists. And let's go around the table to Mr. Brian Lapidus, who has sent us one of our favorite quotes, Brian, from William Gibson. William Ford Gibson, still with us, born March 17, 1948, is an American-Canadian speculative fiction writer and essayist widely credited with pioneering the science fiction subgenre known as cyberpunk. I'm going to leave it alone at that. Here's the quote. The future is already here. It's just not very evenly distributed. Brian Lapidus, welcome to Game Changers. How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, happy to be here, and I've been a listener listener to the show, and uh, happy to contribute my thoughts. 
Well, we are delighted, and, and I love this quote. It, it just has a little bit of a whimsy to it when you think about it, Brian. You can almost picture not evenly distributed. Think of it kind of lopsided and crooked. So tell me, we're talking about FP&A. We're talking about a serious finance topic, driving decision-making, getting the FP&A function on board to use new tools, be able to combine things, make better data-driven decisions. So how does William Gibson's quote relate to our topic, please? So, Bonnie, I know you're uh, very active on on, uh, social media, especially on Twitter, and I'm sure, like me, you get lots of things in your feed, Uh, all the bleeding-edge technology, all the buzzwords-infused videos, and all the things that are out there. And for us in in finance and in the business world, we see these things are near. We see them on the horizon. We hear about them all the time. And in some cases, we know that they actually are being implemented. But those are kind of the... Uh, the relatively few use cases. Uh, in my role here at AFP, I talk to a lot of companies, and I definitely talk to the bleeding-edge companies who are mm-hmm. deploying all the buzzwords and really are at the, at the leading edge, uh, you know, deploying AI and saving, you know, FTE hours and really doing the most advanced things. At the same time, and in the same day, I'll have a conversation with somebody at the other end of the spectrum. And one, one uh, director told me that, forget bleeding edge, he is struggling just to hit mediocrity. Mm. And, mm. That's painful, Brian. That's absolutely painful, but it's a good reality check. Go ahead. It, it really is. And uh, uh, here's, here's another reality check. I just reposted uh, a blog from a friend of mine who went, um, who went to a digital finance day, a big forum in, uh, in Europe about all the new latest and greatest things. And he writes that he was disappointed. He was disappointed in everything that he saw because he felt like it was the same that this finance day was two years ago. It was, here's all these things. They're coming. They're almost here. And they're almost here. So we in finance can see these things. We hear about them. We know people are investing in them, but very few are doing it today. It's just not, it hasn't worked its way down to becoming the new normal for today. Interesting. Tell me something. FP&A professionals, are they, or let's should we say, have they got the mindset or do they have enough Wheaties in their breakfast bowl, Brian, to be able to say, oh, damn, I've just finished a whole couple of decades of looking back over my shoulder at spreadsheets and Excels and I'm looking back and now they're telling me i got to do it now in real time and now they're telling me I have to project the future and make better looking forward decisions? Do you think this is exhausting for them or do you think they're up for it? We, we could even later in the show talk about if the millennials and, and younger people are entering the profession, but do you think this is an exhausting notion for FP&A people? I think it's a thrilling notion. I think Ooh. that, so it, we um, so we put out some research a couple weeks ago uh, as part of our partnership benchmarking study with APQC. And in this research, we found that people were spending, FP&A professionals were spending about 70% of their time just organizing the data and managing the process of the data, which leaves 30% to actually do the value-added work, right? FP&A wants to be the trusted business advisor to the, to the CFO, to the business, to the presidents, et cetera. But we're still spending 70% of our time just preparing the data and getting it ready. That number, over the last 10 years, relatively unchanged. Mm. We can do better. There's more we can do. There's more. There's great stuff. 
We're trying really hard to get there. And the other research we've done, show, has, done has shown we're really optimistic about what we can do. We just need to break free of the drudgery and the grunt work of, of every day. Very well put. Thank you. That's what I was looking for. The drudgery and the grunt work. Got to move past that. And that's what the tools are for. And that's what the technology is for. So thank you for a great start to our topic, Brian Lapidus. We have a lot more coming up with you later. Let me move around the table to our second guest, Parminder Par Gadahora at Truqua. And Par has sent me a quote from Bruce Lee. Bruce Lee, known professionally as Bruce Lee, his original name was Lee Jun Fan, J-U-N hyphen F-A-N, 1940-1973. He was a Hong Kong American actor, director, martial artist, martial arts instructor, and philosopher, and the founder of the hybrid martial arts known as Jeet Kune Do. I'll leave it at that. He was featured in a lot of movies, and he's credited frequently with helping to change the way Asians are presented in American films. Here are some of the movies he started. Low Ways, The Big Boss, back in 1971. Fist of Fury, ooh, 1972. Golden Harvest, Way of the Dragon, which he directed and wrote in 72. He's busy. Golden Harvest and Warner Brothers Enter the Dragon in 73 in The Game of Death. In 1978, here is the quote Parr has selected from Bruce Lee. Notice that the stiffest tree is most easily cracked while the bamboo or willow survives by bending with the wind. I can just see the tree bending with the wind because it was very windy here in North Carolina yesterday. Parr, welcome to Game Changers. How are you? I'm very well, Bonnie. Thank you very much for having me on the show. Oh, we're delighted. I love this Bruce Lee quote. It's like a poem. So tell me, how did you find this quote? I'm so surprised that somebody in martial arts said something so beautifully gentle. How did you find the quote? And please relate it to our topic today. (laughs) Yeah. um, So essentially on social media, I tend to have people share various quotes um, with me. And... Mm. uh, Bruce Lee comes out with some interesting quotes, very similar to one could even re-quote it as Confucius. Confucius says Mm. X, Y, Z. So, you know, I had this quote come through and it really resonated with me about the whole flexibility and being rigid and how it relates to the um, business world and the environment that most companies are operating in. Very interesting. Tell me something. When we talk about FP&A, we just talked about the drudgery and the grunt work with, with uh, Brian Lapidus a moment ago. Do you think FP&A people in the, the Office of Finance, the CFO's team, can say, yes, I can see myself with all of these new modern tools becoming this willow that is bending with the wind, the wind of change, the wind of disruption, the wind of chaos, if you will, and I'm able to move forward into the future more gracefully because I have knowledge and I have tools. Do you think that that's ever going to be their mindset rather than, dang, do I have to? What what do you think? (laughs) I'm sorry, Par, what do you think? Um, Yes, I think that's an interesting way of looking at it, and I think in in the mindsets of FP&A, it's there. However, to be able to put it into reality or to be able to execute upon it, there's a gap. So individuals are still pretty much stuck in traditional way of doing what they're doing. Um, They know there's disruption coming. They're essentially chasing um, their tails in trying to meet the information needs of the business, um, the data inconsistencies, etc., 
And leveraging these new tools, there's a degree of uh, a fair factor that's coming into play mm-hmm. um, and understanding how can we leverage these, having that and trying to be more agile in the approach and thinking outside of the box. I think it's where the challenge pretty much lies around FPNA. Thank you very much. Pleasure to meet you, Par. We have a lot more coming from you soon around the table. And now let's go one more stop around to my colleague, Pras Chatterjee. And Pras has sent us a quote from Bill Belichick. Anybody wondering who? Even I know who he is. William Stephen Belichick, born in 1952, April 16th. I think he's having a birthday next Tuesday. We could all send Bill Belichick a card or a tweet. He's an American football coach who serves as the head coach of the New England Patriots of the NFL. That's National Football League. Uh, he holds numerous coaching records, including winning a record six Super Bowls as head of the New England Patriots and two more as defensive coordinator for the New York Giants. Yay, New York. After being head, named head coach of the Jets, he resigned after one day on the job to move over to the head coaching job for the Patriots. Patriots in January of 2000, and he has since led the Patriots to 16 AFC East Division titles, 13 appearances in the AFC Championship, nine Super Bowl appearances, and six wins. And I'll just leave. Here's he's the, one of only three head coaches who've won six NFL titles, and he was named Coach of the Year three times. So here's the quote. Bonnie, get to what I already process saying. Here's the quote. On a team... It's not the strength of the individual players, but it is the strength of the unit and how they all function together. Pras, how have you been? Not too bad. How are you? Well, very well. It's nice of you to ask. So talk to me about this great sports quote. We haven't talked about the team aspect yet of FP&A, so tell me how, what this quote means to you. Yeah, I decided to bring it back to a tactical level just because uh, over the last two weeks I've had the tra- pleasure of uh, working with a group called FP&A Trends where I've got to meet a lot of uh, very senior finance uh, individuals, VPs of finance and CFOs committed to the FP&A function. And uh, similar to what Brian had mentioned uh, about some of their challenges, um, you know, I found that a lot of the challenges are very tactical in a manner. Um, you know, we, we provide a lot of... Uh, direction in terms of strategy and vision and where they should go, but they are struggling with things such as data and uh, other items like that. Now, when it comes to the team, uh, where, like, uh, where this really came into fruition was that um, I saw this quote and it really uh, made me think about the fact that um, on finance departments, especially talking to the CFOs, there are some rock stars, there are other people who probably cannot provide the same level of service to their business constituents, and ultimately, Finance has to come together as a function. FP&A especially has to come together as a function to provide similar service and really guide the enterprise. So it's not about rock stars in a certain business unit providing guidance. Rather, it's about the enterprise looking at the FP&A function and being able to trust it wholeheartedly because they see them as a cohesive unit and, um, you know, and because they communicate together effectively. Very, very interesting. Tell me something. When, when we think of the team, when... Uh Let's back this up. Talking about strategy, when a CFO is tasked with populating a team for the finance function, do you think they look at how people will work together or the different strengths each person brings, or do they just hire, okay, we have nine chairs and they have to have somebody with 10 years of CPA experience, bing, 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 you're hired, and then they go to the next function and say, bong, 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 you're hired. Do you think there is this concept of, of team, cohesive, collaborative, uh, helping each other, a dynamic interplay of skills and backgrounds and expertise? What's your thought, Pras? 
Yeah, I'm going to say that it's probably less in that direction. Um, I actually used to work in the SPNA function about 10, 12 years ago, actually over 12 years. I've ended with SAP 12. Um, and mm-hmm. during my time in that function, I found that when I was involved in hiring practices, it was always about checking off boxes and making sure mm-hmm. the skill set was there, X amount of years of experience, uh, being able to do a certain type of analysis, uh, working with, you know, a, the system that we might rely upon and, you know, having, as you mentioned, CPAs or MBAs or a BA mm-hmm. in finance or something of that sort. And I don't know how much it was actually placed on people being able to work in a cohesive manner, being able to complement each other uh, instead of working in a silo, working in a uh, cohesive fashion. So I think that's something that will have to change. And some organizations are better than, than others because there is a dedicated HR practice that, you know, looks at, you know, instead the individual looks at how the individual works across um, in a team function. But for the most part, I do believe it is still looking at um, how they check off certain boxes and the skills that they uniquely bring and uh, can benefit, uh, the enterprise can benefit from overall versus a team uh, on a more granular level. Thank you, Pras. I'm listening to the question I asked you in my mind right now, and I'm saying, how did I know to ask that? It just popped into my head because we don't talk about teams in the finance department. We it's just not something we've we've talked about before. We've always talked, as you said, hire by checking the box. So, uh, thank you very much for indulging my question because at once I said it, I said, you know, that's a pretty good question to ask. So I'm going to virtually pat myself on the back here. I'm I'm moving around to Brian Lapidus. Brian, this is the part of the show where we get to know each of our panelists a little more up close and personal. So I have three questions for you. Number one, where in the world are you? I just need a continent, a hemisphere, a river, a lake, or a, or a, a, a community. I don't need the numbers on your door. Number two, what's your favorite drink that powers you? I'm looking at your PR photo here, and you have a wonderful smile, so alive. Your eyes are sparkling, and there must be some favorite beverage that really makes you feel that way about life. And Number three, tell us just a little bit about the AFP Association for Financial Professionals and what is your role. Brian Lapidus, you're up first. Sure, thanks. So I am in Bethesda, Maryland, a couple stops on the metro north of Washington, D.C. And uh, maybe the reason why I'm smiling in that, uh, in that photo is that I'm thinking about, uh, thinking about my favorite drink, mm. which is uh, a red wine from Rockland's Farm. Uh, and it's funny, you know, for me, this, for this drink, half the experience is just the wine and half is the farm itself. Mm. Uh, and uh, it's definitely fresh in my mind because we hit spring and last weekend my wife and I uh, you know, made sure the kids were busy and the two of us kind of escaped and took a, a short drive out to Poolsville, Maryland to, uh, to Rockland's farm. Mm-hmm. And it really is kind of our, our little escape. It's only about 20 minutes away. Wow. They grow most of their wines, but all the wines, all, um, grow most of their grapes, but if not, all the grapes are from the state of Maryland. Um, they produce everything. They age it there on site. And uh, in addition to all of that, the wine is good. So well, my, uh, I, I have my to favorite tell is, you, is the Sandstone Red. Sandstone. I was going to say, I'm on their website, Brian. I told you I would be. It's Rocklands, plural, farm, MD from Maryland, R-O-C-K-L-E-N-D-S-F-A-R-M-M-D.com. Out slash our dash wines, O-U-R dash wines. I'm on the Reds page. It popped up first. They've got a farmhouse, a Chambourson, 
And that one is uh, its a little on the pricey side. The hillside is sold out, believe it or not. The 2017 Cabernet Sauvignon. That's a cat. Oh, it's partly cab, partly Merlot. My goodness, that's interesting. they got all the percents here. And then the sandstone. That's your favorite. What do you love about sandstone? It's just a deeper, richer flavor. Um, the farmhouse is uh, is a little fruity. I mean, all of these, all of the wines here are a little bit young, uh, very bold and, and fruity. The farmhouse a little too much. Uh, hillside and, and especially sandstone are, are just my favorite. Very nice to know. Thank you for the lead. I will take a look at their website. And by the way, you can purchase wine online. How about that? There's a picture right now of, of the, the big barrels. I assume they're oak barrels. Very interesting. So now tell us, AFP, what is it and what do you do, Brian? AFP uh, here in Bethesda, we are the Association for Financial Professionals, and we're a not-for-profit that works for the benefit of our of our members and our membership community. We uh, we create and curate content to help working professionals in their career. So, for me, I'm the uh, one of three subject matter experts here, and my area mm-hmm. is FP&A and corporate finance. Uh, so a little bit about what that means. Um, yes. Well, right now here in April, I'm, I'm grounded. I'm doing a lot of writing and research on what we call deep content. So in the next, you know, in the next couple of weeks, I'll be putting out uh, guides around business partnership, which is very much in, on this topic, right? How do we become good business partners and get beyond just the budgeting and forecasting and performance management? How do we really become that strategic advisor? So we'll be revising that soon. Uh, tips on data visualization. And then in June, we'll be releasing our maturity model for the FP&A profession, kind of explaining and, and exploring what is uh, foundational, emerging, and leading practices throughout the FP&A profession. Thank you very much. Pleasure to have you on, and I'm glad to hear that your favorite farm slash winery is 20 minutes away, if only for the rest of us. It's just a wine store 10 minutes from here. I hear that around here people buy a subscription card to the wine store, and they buy it by the case. We have so many wine clubs in my community they fill three conference rooms. What can I tell you? It's a good thing. It's a very good thing. Brian, welcome. Now let's move around the table to Par Gatahora at Truqua. Par, th- same three questions. Where are you calling from today? What's your favorite beverage that really makes you smile and feel wonderful and happy? And tell us a little bit about what you do as a managing principal at Truqua. Go ahead, Par. Thanks, Bonnie. Um, I'm currently based at a client site in St. Louis. Missouri. Mm-hmm. Um, first time here. Normally, I've pretty much just been flying through Missouri, um, well, St. Louis. Uh, so, interesting city. Hoping to explore it a little bit more over the coming days. Um, I'm actually based out of Dallas in Texas, and uh, it makes a change being here uh, in St. Louis. Um, ducking and diving from the hailstorms that we've been having recently. Um, so it's quite refreshing to be somewhere warm um, and sunshine. From a drinks perspective, uh, my favorite drink, it's, it's interesting. I, uh, my favorite drink is actually gin and tonic. Mm. <laughs> and uh, it came about some two years ago when I was in London. And it seemed to be quite a trend going on in the UK um, with craft gin 
um, and various, um, alongside with various mixes and fruits and vegetables mixed in, which I'd never really thought of. And my favorite one is actually Hendrix with fever tree gin and tonic, uh, sorry, fever tree tonic and a slice of cucumber. Now, outside mm. of Hendrix, I do also like um, gin and tonic with pomegranate Ooh. put into it. Uh, so fresh pomegranate scooped out, frozen for a little while, and then put into the drink. It's an amazing taste. As you drink your gin and you, and you crunch on the pomegranate seeds, it just releases that flavor. It's, it's lovely. Oh, very I love that. Which is also very dangerous. Because? Because um, it tastes so good, it's very light <laughs> and refreshing, you can easily overindulge. That was the, I got to tell you, Par, that was the dramatic pause that refreshed. You had me spellbound, I assume, Brian and Prassel, is dangerous, what is he talking about, choking on a pomegranate seed? And I just said, what? And you, you just breathed life into the rest of that sentence. That was probably one of the best comic line timings we've ever had on Game Changers Radio. That was beautiful. I have to tell you that it's a popular drink. There's a recipe at simplyscratch.com, Simply Scratch Pomegranate Gin and Tonic, Tonic, there's one at Zevia, Z-E-V-I-A, sugar-free pomegranate, rosemary gin and tonic. There's one at vinepair.com, the pomegranate gin and tonic. Tonic, I keep saying tonic, recipe. Pomegranate gin and tonic at medium.com. And the most delicious pomegranate gin cocktail at yuppiechef.com. I'm going to stop there. So obviously you're not the only one in the world who discovered this. i got to go do one of those. So now tell us what you do. What do you do (laughs) besides make delicious drinks? Um, yes, a, a Truqua, um pretty much uh, essentially helping organizations navigate their way through all this disruption that's occurring with technology and how it's going to impact the organizations themselves. So we help clients, and I particularly help clients in understanding what the technology means for them. Where's the mm-hmm. value? Where's the business case? The value proposition of the technology, and um, not just solely from a technology perspective, but also letting them appreciate the fact that it's also going to be a change in their processes and how the two come together for a successful um, implementation and solution for them. So we go from all the way from assessments to visualization. Um, thinking around the art of the possible through to Mm -hmm. implementing and supporting clients. Thank you very much. Pleasure to get to know you. Pros Chatterjee, welcome back. Pros, bring us up to date. Where are you? What's your favorite drink? You can also have one of those paws that refreshes if you want. And what's what's up with your job at planning and analysis at SAP? Pros? Thanks, Bonnie. So uh, right now I'm in beautiful downtown Toronto, right in the heart of the financial district at the SAP office. Um, and I can't emphasize the beautiful day enough because it's been a horrid winter. Mm-hmm. Um, so with regards to my uh, favorite drink, um, it hasn't changed since the last time we talked. And I know you and I discussed offline about some more information on it, but it's still Mariage Frères, which is a French tea house, their French breakfast tea. And I'll apologize to Par on that because it's not an English breakfast tea. It is a French uh, <laughs> breakfast tea. Um, and I do not drink it with any milk, just plain black with some boiling water and let it brew for four minutes. And it's got some wonderful 
uh, chocolate and malty taste to it, which is a great way to start off the morning, at least for me. And I want to spell that for us. It's mariage, the French word for marriage, M-A-R-1-R-I-A-G-E, frere, F-R-E, accent grave on the first E-R-E-S, and it's fall in love. And there's a uh, website, mariage frere, pluralfrere.com. This year's fall in love by mariage frere comes in two variations, a black velvety tea and a fresh green tea, unveiling a sweet, delicate fragrance with hints of, and I'm going to stop there. So it's all over the web. Everybody can go find it all over the place, and it's even sold on Amazon.com. Pras, what have you been up to in your work? So I'm still with the uh, planning analysis function at SAP, talking to CFOs, VPs of finance, uh, helping them solve their uh, you know, problems and uh, really helping position our solutions so that you know, we can help complete uh, you know, the message of the intelligent enterprise, especially through that of the Office of Finance. Okay, thank you very much. Good to catch up. Uh, I think we have time for a break. We're going to take a quick 90-second break. If you're just tuning in, this is Financial Excellence with Game Changers Radio, and I have to say thank you to our listeners around the world for making this one of the most popular of all of our 42 Game Changers series. That's right, 42 series under the Game Changers banner. Today we're talking about a bright future for FP&A, leading the intelligent enterprise. My very special guests, very smart, and they have really cool favorite drinks. Brian Lapidus at the Association for Financial Professionals, Par Gatahora at Truqua and Pras Chatterjee at SAP. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. I'm drinking water because they don't let me anywhere near caffeine on radio show days. I'm here in very warm and kind of looking like rain again, Durham, North Carolina. It's gray, but the flowers are blooming somehow and the plants are blossoming and that's a good thing. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. We'll be back in 90 seconds, air and out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Isn't it time for you to transform your finance organization? SAP is leading the way with groundbreaking technology to help finance professionals transform finance. S4 HANA, powered by SAP, is a part of SAP S4 HANA, the next generation business suite. SAP S4 HANA Finance draws upon innovative, in-memory mobile and cloud technologies to deliver one common, secure view of all your information across finance. This gives you instant insight to drive enterprise-wide strategic value. Learn more about SAP S4 HANA Finance at SAP.com. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. Welcome back to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Comments, questions? Send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the show at hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to financial excellence with Game Changers. 
Yes, actually, let's get back to financial excellence with Game Changers talking about FP&A, the function, bright future, leading the intelligent enterprises, not just sitting in a dark basement with an eye shade and a green CPA lamp and looking at spreadsheets and using a calculator. We're talking about using data on connected platforms that allow you to access operational data from all over the company, put it together and help make good decisions that drive the company forward. We've talked about the finance function being the steward of the business. Today, we're specifically honing in on FP&A functions. So my special panelists today are Brian Lapidus at the Association for Financial Professionals, Par Minder, I call him Par Gatahora, at Truqua, and Pras Chatterjee at SAP. We're kicking off the roundtable formally, although we have been going around and around the table, with some comments sent to me by Brian Lapidus before the show, and here's what he said. Quote, when data is plentiful, defining the work and asking the right question is more important than having the right answer. Brian, please tell us more. So, Bonnie, you, you really alluded to this when you talked about or you introduced the topic of the intelligent enterprise. Mm-hmm. We're in a world where data is everywhere. And if you think about how much data there is or the ability to go out and get data or who's managing the data, then you have to stop. Finance has to change its way of thinking. It, it can't think in terms of I've got the official general ledger, I've got the financial states, I have the answer, these are the numbers that everybody knows and everybody's going to trust. Instead, everybody has data and everybody has different kinds of data, financial, operational, and how it all relates. So it's important for finance at this point to change that mindset and say, okay, if data is everywhere, then the question is, well, then, then just knowing how to structure that data is, is critical. And I mean structure by what is the question we're trying to ask or we're trying to answer? What is the problem that we're trying to solve? And we see that once we can ask the right question, we can go out and find it and do the research. We can challenge the assumptions. We can dig deeper into why certain costs are a certain way. And that's where you start getting into the change, the disruption, and the uh, really the ability to move forward uh, in, in great strides. Thank you. Very interesting. I think this is a, these are words of wisdom for life, Brian. I find that in my own life, if I'm taking lessons on anything from learning how to play the drums to anything else, asking the right question is really the gateway to getting insights and having somebody help you find the answers or the path to the answers. I love that statement. Par, a true quote. Par, agree or disagree with what Brian shared with us? Yeah, I very much agree with the statement, actually. I think there's a lot of emphasis on finance trying to come up with the, what, what is regarded as the right uh, answer, rather than where are we actually, where should, where should we really looking, where should we really be looking? Um, what, what is our problem? Um, where, where's our challenges lie? How, how can we then take back and work together in a collaborative, and it links back to the show's mm-hmm. uh, leading. How do we collaboratively come up with um, what will eventually become the right answer, or the right direction, should I say, as well? Um, because finance can't be deemed to be the experts in everything. and It's actually being that business partner to actually work out um, what is important to make the right decisions, should I say. Thank you. Pras, join us, please. Pras Chatterjee. Uh, hey, Barney. So um, 
It, it really, um, I, I do agree with what Brian said. Um, what really concerns me is that um, asking the right questions will obviously lead to better answers and more answers, maybe more answers than you can understand. But I think for finance, really what they have to do is, especially FP&A, is change the way they go about business um, to, to be able to really ask the right questions. And uh, what I've been thinking about the fact is that a lot of FP&A functions, in fact, I'd be... I think I'd be okay with saying the majority of them work in a very rigid and very structured way where they ask the questions, uh, maybe the right questions at a very select point in time, maybe at the end of the month when the books are closed and when they can mm-hmm. compare their bud- actual results to their budgets, their plans and forecasts. And that asking those right questions at a very specific point in time, you might get the answers, but they won't be the right answers at the right time. So I think there's, uh, with the FP&A function, they've got to look at uh, really being a lot more fluid in the way they go about business, less rigid in terms of when they provide reports and guidance to their business constituents. Uh, yeah, I think they have to work in a manner where they're asking the right questions all of the time so they can provide much better answers and get better answers for that matter. Thank you very much. Good topic there. Brian, anything you want to add to that one? I went around the table once and I'm ready to bring up another topic from <laughs> PARS list. So anything you want to add? Yeah, the um, what... What Pross was just talking to reminds me of something that a, a boss had, uh, of mine had told me when I was uh, running an FP&A department. And he said, the goal in the relationship or the way to think about the relationship is to be a line. Don't be a point. And he said, a point is that person who does exactly what Pross was saying, waits to the end of the month, mm-hmm. prints out a bunch of reports, and has that monthly performance review session. Or a point is someone who comes and says, hey, I need this data. Strive to be a line where you have lots of different points together to, until you finally create a relationship where you show and demonstrate that you, are, that you know their business, you understand their business, you speak their language. And at the same time, you still represent the CFO and you represent that finance viewpoint. And, and in that way, be bilingual. But absolutely agree that you have to have that continuous relationship in order to be accepted by them as a true business partner. Thank you very much. And that goes back to our our court about teams, yes, and being flexible and bending with the wind. So I want to move on to some statements here from Parr. Here's an interesting one, Parr. You say, the future of FP&A is not about people versus technology. It is not. While emerging capabilities will add productivity, they should not be seen as replacing humans. Parr, give us some more insights on this, please. Yeah, and the the thinking around this was that um, these, there's a degree of this uh, fear factor within FPNA that all these emerging capabilities mm-hmm. is, is going to put me out of a job. Um, if we have all this uh, intelligence that comes along, um, you know, it, it's going to take away what I do today rather than thinking about it's going to actually provide value to me because I no longer need to focus on the mundane activities of data collection, data cleansing, um, initial reviews of of data and piecing them together. I can actually start looking at the end results and making a judgment call, being able to understand what's going on in the organization and what we were just discussing what is important that we need to 
look upon in the organization and look to gain a, a decision or input into a decision taking organizations forward. And Thank you. One, yeah, one of ahead. the things as well is when, when it comes to um, individuals in FP&A when they work with um, collating all this information, developing a point of view and analysis, there's a degree of um, bias that's built into it. Um, and the advanced technology that comes along, the advanced analytics, the AI capability, doesn't have that built into it, right? It doesn't have the experiences. It doesn't have a bias towards something. It just looks at the data. It's very logical in what it does. Um, so to a certain extent, AI can benefit, but it'll never do FP&R job because you cannot let just have AI run on its own and not have any human interaction within it. So that's really Thank the you. kind of thinking around that, that yeah. FP&A should not be scared of the technology. That, that's a provocative statement. Let's see what Pras and then what Brian think about that. Pras, thoughts, agree or disagree? Um, I, I do agree, uh, absolutely, because... Um, Especially when we look at, we talked originally, uh, Bonnie, you and I, about the type of resources that are hired into FPNA. I mean, all these resources Mm -hmm. are, uh, and individuals are all qualified. They're either CPAs, MBAs, highly educated individuals, or individuals with a lot of experience in their respective industries that can provide uh, great guidance. But going back to what Brian was saying earlier as well about how um, I think one of the uh, CFOs he had talked to said, you know, they strive for mediocrity at best. Um, mm-hmm. Allowing AI and machine learning and these ne- uh, emerging tools into your FP&A practice, uh, my, my vision for this is, you know, what I've seen in the market is that let them do a lot of the grunt work, a lot of the automation, a lot of bringing data together, a lot of uh, bringing information to you. And now it's time to put, you know, take advantage of those advanced degrees and designations to embrace, let's say, machine learning uh, to help you, you know, in fact, it might state the obvious, but it's an extra hand at helping state the obvious so you can give that guidance to your business. And again, it's not about giving that guidance on a scheduled basis at the end of the month, but because things are being done a lot more efficiently and effectively, you can give that sort of guidance um, through the, the course of the month when things are mm-hmm. happening. So it's almost like as a finance individual, um, instead of stating the obvious from the back of the boat, you're standing at the front of the ship and stating uh, what's about to happen and helping navigate the seas um, by embracing these tools and letting these tools be a partner and using um, you know, a collaboration of yourself and these tools uh, to make your lives easier and being you being a better partner to your business constituents. I like that. I like the the metaphor you gave about not standing in the back of the boat in in the stern, but going up on the bow and saying, ahoy, I see the future, something like that. Thank you. There's a Bowie ahead. We need to veer to the starboard. There we go. So, uh, Brian Lapidus, love to get your thoughts on this. Agree or disagree? And do you have a different metaphor? Do you like that one? (laughs) Um, So, I I agree, and I'll I'll take a a slightly different tact on this. Please do. Uh, I'll tack to the port side, maybe. The, um, what <laughs> we're seeing is that the, the definition of the team itself is changing as, the, as organizations become more agile. Um, and you could go and talk, think about formal agile organizations and methodologies and what that means where you've got different people who come together for different tasks. What we're seeing in our research is that the FPA, as an FPNA individual sits kind of in the middle of this uh, this intersection of lots of different partners on the team. And those include their business partners who they're supporting, their other finance teams that they have, need a close relationship with. Um, 
we're also seeing that bots are becoming a member of the team. And bots is just shorthand for algorithms, robots, robotic processes. And in the future, the, the next generation of tools, the machine learning, predictive analytics, those are all going to be in this group of bots. It's really helpful for people to think about them not as a replacement, but as a new team member. Now, I'll mm-hmm. give one quick example with someone yeah. who we spoke with here, one of the members of, of our community. Um, she was explaining at her company that they put, to, they put in place what they call an RPA, a robotic process automation bot, to go and handle some of the grunt work about how they were organizing the data or getting data into the system. It used to be very manual. Now they have BARB to do it. And who is BARB? BARB stands for the best automated row bot. Ooh. They, and what they found is in, in, they wanted to demystify Barb, and so they gave Barb a cube. So there is a, a cube which has two computers, and bar, because you need to have appropriate controls and access on your, techno, on your IT, that Barb has her own login ID. But they, they also went and they built, you know, they taped together some boxes and some toilet paper tubes, and they put a head on it. And they said it really <laughs> helped them to think about the bot as a, as a person because yes. just like all of us, there are certain things that Barb does really well, and there are certain things that Barb doesn't do well and you have to compensate for. And that personification allowed them to embrace the bot as a team member and understand how to work with it and how to and when and where that they as people add more value and when Barb is more efficient. Really was a nice way of, of wrapping it all together. Very interesting. I looked up Barb the Robot in this uh, a video here. Barb makes things on YouTube from a while ago. Uh, images for Barb Robot, Uncle Simon Wikipedia. I'm sorry, that's something else. Barb's Robot. Very, very interesting. Thank you. I love the visuals of what you just described, Brian. Very, very interesting. Uh, great topic there, Par. I'm going to move on because we have just a few minutes till our crystal ball prediction round. I want to bring in another key word here from Pras Chatterjee's notes. Pras, your second statement you sent me says the following. Trust is of the utmost importance for the FP&A function. Trust in their data sources. Trust in information technology. Trust in their fellow business units. Trust in modern systems. So how does how do the next generation tools come into that trust scope? Prost, do you want to give us a brief answer on this, and then we'll quickly have time for our other two panelists to chime in? Go ahead, Prost. Absolutely, yeah. So, um Often, uh, I guess, the character profile of the individuals we meet in FP&A, some of them are uh, CPAs, such as myself, and uh, we come from a very skeptical and rightfully skeptical background where we question everything. And um, for a long time, we've been struggling, and we, as in all of us in the FP&A world, have been struggling with bringing information together. And things have really, um, you know, especially for the you know, companies that work really well, um, that have embraced technology, infor- the way information is gathered is a lot quicker, a lot more efficient, and a lot faster than it was before. Uh, you, you know, the best-run organizations can effectively uh, close their books immediately, get a real-time view into their organization versus waiting for the end of the month. And it's about trusting these systems. Uh, but I think what's, uh, what works, what's needed beyond trust, and this is something profound that um, I experienced somewhat last week when I was talking to a lot of these uh, FP&A professionals, was that um, most of them 
are at the point where they're starting to trust technology, uh, but where they see the challenge is communication, because in order to be a business partner and bringing in business uh, data from all across the enterprise and being able to um, really uh, expand upon the information set that they have, they aren't really sure how to communicate, how to, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, I guess, um, uh, disperse this information so that individuals can act upon it, how they can actually provide guidance upon it. You know, um, oftentimes they've, in the past, they've worked with Excel spreadsheets or emails and things are happening a lot quicker and faster. If we want information now, we have apps that do it. Um, and so I think beyond the trust, it's really uh, embracing the trust, trusting right away. I think trust has to happen. It's about mm-hmm. now that you've trusted everything, how do you communicate effectively based upon that trust? Thank you very much. Let's go around the table. Agree or disagree on trust, including not just people and business units and systems, but next generation tools. Brian, you're after press. Go ahead briefly and then uh, par and then Brian, I'm going to flip it back over to you for your prediction. So let's move ahead. Go ahead. So one of the key elements of trust is transparency, transparency in the process, in the data and being honest in the limitations. Um, at our recent conference, uh, we, our Finnex conference, we talked, we had someone come and present how they built trust in their data source. And they said, we did it by talking about all the ways that we, that we don't trust our data now. We said, we know what the problems are. Now let's go figure out what they are. And they actually were able to bring together that, a group to focus on that because they didn't try to hide it. They tackled it head on and people saw how they were tackling it and they saw the output. Interesting. Okay, on the matter of trust. Park, quick thoughts on that? What would you like to add? Yeah, I just uh, agree with Price, the fact that um, trust is pretty much built into the DNA of any finance individual. Um, They always want to double-check and make sure that what they're looking at, the information that they're working with, is accurate and concise and reflective of what's happening. Now, the, the challenge really comes is when you start introducing some of these um, advanced analytics and uh, advanced capabilities is much of this happens in a, in a black box, essentially. Businesses, mm-hmm. um, FP&A, you know, FP&A don't really understand what's happening, but just that there's an output that happens and it ties in with um, somewhat to what Brian was just saying is having that transparency and it's opening up the black box to allow individuals to truly understand what's actually happening with, the, uh, with this, these advanced uh, tool sets and the information that's been provided to them, how it's come about. And once they have that visibility and that transparency and the understanding, I think that, that the trust becomes a lot stronger. Thank you very much. Good insights on the trust word. I'm so glad we brought that into the conversation, Pras. Brian Lapidus, you're up first. I have, oh, not even 60 seconds for each of you. Let's go with about 45 seconds. Prediction, crystal ball, look into the future. What will change about this topic, the bright future for FP&A? Will the new super light bulb be shining on them in the next five years? Brian Lapidus, prediction, 45 seconds, go. Yes. Was that fast? Yeah. Give me a little more. It'll happen, it'll happen and, and I think it's going to happen uh, the way that Mark Twain talked about bankruptcy, that it happened very slowly and then all at once. What we're seeing is that in the tools that FP&A is using, the statistical analysis, the data analysis is being built in. So instead of having to go out and get it, 
It's already there at your fingertips. We're also seeing that the generation coming out of college are learning R and Python and data management there. We're seeing that the MBA curriculum has changed significantly um, over the past, you know, even the last five or six years. So all of those are going to create a critical mass where you're getting the right people in the place, the tools are there, and it's going to seem very sudden, but the trends are happening now. Thank you very much. Par Gatahora at Truqua. 45 seconds. Go ahead. Par, what's your prediction, please? Yeah, I think um, CFOs and other sort of uh, finance leaders, they currently feel that they need to jump on the AI bandwagon because if they don't, they're going to lose out to their competitors. Now, that's all well and good, but understanding what's the use case is, how they can leverage this technology to give them that competitive edge um, becomes more clear and we're able to articulate, get an understanding, have some sort of a plan in place to get down to that route. I think over the next couple of uh, years, at the moment it's very much in its infancy, but I think that it will get stronger, both from an understanding perspective, from vendors building it into their capabilities to get organizations close to that point. Thank you very much. Pras, 30 seconds are all yours. Well, I'll give you 45. Go ahead. Thanks, Barney. Um, absolutely. I think the key thing in the next five years is that we're going to be, if we're back on the show, we're going to be talking about the fact that uh, the FP&A function has started to trust a lot of these processes that bring um, a lot of these modern technologies, and they've actually started um, focusing on the A of the financial planning and analysis. Instead of doing more planning, aggregation, uh, massaging, they're driving a lot more analysis and they're working in a lot more of a, uh, a lot less of a scheduled manner versus, you know, they're actually, as you mentioned, navigating to the buoys and, uh, of the stormy waters ahead and providing crystal clear guidance and are leading what is the intelligent enterprise. Thank you very much. Thank you to my three experts. I learned so much from you. You certainly bring the topic of finance alive, and I appreciate that. Shout out to Chris Grundy, Diana Heim, Birgit Starmans at SAP for sponsoring the eighth season of the series. Shout out and thanks to Aaron Keller at Voice America World Talk Radio, the business channel, our engineer extraordinaire. And here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt, or maybe fasten the belt when you're sitting on the boat on the stormy seas of finance. Okay, whatever. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today, just like Brian Lapidus at the Association for Financial Professionals, just like Par Gatahora at Truqua, and just like Pras Chatterjee at SAP. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. I'll be back tomorrow morning. It's Wednesday, the 10th of April tomorrow, 11 a.m. Eastern, right here on the Business Channel with a brand new edition live, of course it is, of Coffee Break with Game Changers presented by SAP. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP, helping you to run simple. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to hashtag SAPRADIO. And join host Bonnie D. Graham Tuesdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time, here on the Business Channel, wishing you a game-changing week.